the Swim Coach in Transit podcast. I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. In this episode, I talked to Mark Hesse, who at the time of this interview was a free agent after having worked as a performance development manager at USA Swimming for the past eight years. Prior to his stint at USA Swimming, Mark coached in several different LSCs and in many different roles. More recently, Mark played a huge role in USA Swimming's attempt to help educate and calm coaches during the COVID crisis, and we do get to talk about that in a little more detail. This was another great conversation that I am happy to share. So, here's another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit podcast with Mark Hesse. All right, so Mark, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time for this. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to do it, Lucas. Uh, yeah. As I was telling you, this is my first, first podcast, so uh, it, it'll be an interesting experience. Yeah, I'm very honored uh, of being the first one. I just got to make sure I do my part because I know there's a lot that you can share and help everybody. But very honored to be in the first one. So the, I guess uh, just for context, people listening to this, we are recording towards the very end of July. This is the last week of July. So there's some things we're going to talk about eventually here that prior are timely for, for this time. But just want people to know, this is when we're recording. It's probably going to come out in a couple of weeks, but obviously podcast people are going to listen to it uh, forever. And the first thing that I usually ask people is for you to just kind of give us an overview of your path as okay. an athlete and, and as a coach, and in your case, uh, going past a coach. So, and you can do that as briefly, as succinctly as you want, or you can be as detailed as you want. Okay, great. So uh, not much to distinguish in my uh, athletic <coughs> um, career, um, except for the fact that I was a competitive swimmer and uh, started out uh, like most kids do uh, through swim lessons and then into uh, a summer league team and had the good fortune to have some, some uh, excellent Coaches in my summer league, uh, my summer team, uh, I grew up outside Boston. And um, one of the coaches, when I think I was about 12, her uh, sons were AAU swimmers back then. Um, so that, that gives you an idea of how old I am. Uh, and uh, swam for the, a team called the New England Barracudas. And... Um, um, she encouraged a bunch of us uh, who were on the summer team to, to uh, you know, give year-round swimming a shot. So I tried out and everything and, and got placed in a group and, and started to do that and really uh, fell in love with it. I played other sports, you know, I played Little League, Pony League, baseball, um, played some soccer uh, in middle school. Um, played rec league basketball, all the, you know, typical things you do as a kid. And um, uh, really swimming was the thing that I was probably the best at. Uh, so stuck with it and uh, ended up swimming in college uh, at Georgetown University. Non-scholarship, but uh, a great experience. Um, and, and actually that's how I got into coaching. Um, my college coach, was coaching a summer league team in, in Northern Virginia, 
in the Northern Virginia Swim League, uh, one of the uh, biggest uh, summer leagues in, in the country. And uh, he asked me to be his assistant coach after my freshman year of college. And so I did that for, for a summer and absolutely fell in love with coaching and um, having that experience with the, with the young athletes, helping them uh, improve. And uh, I caught the coaching bug. So I continued to, uh, to do that in the summers during college. And then when I graduated, went to, went to a year of grad school at Georgetown and, and was a grad assistant for the college team continue to coach summer league, then uh, actually came on as a full, full-time, but not full-time, an assistant coach with the college team. And then um, lo and behold, uh, uh, a racket club was opening down the street from the pool that I was coaching in the summers at. And uh, they, uh, gave me the opportunity to start uh, a team there. Um, so I started a team called the Burke Barracudas in Burke, Virginia, at the Burke Racket and Swim Club. Um, that team no longer exists uh, because after uh, three and a half years of coaching that team and taking it to fourth in uh, Potomac Valley, LSC, um, I ended up being offered the job to go down to Mission Bay in Boca Raton, Florida, and be a part of Mark Schubert's staff uh, as uh, the head age group coach, uh, replacing Jack Roach, our, our former national uh, junior team director, uh, who was moving up to be one of the senior coaches. Uh, so when I left Burke, uh, they merged with Curl Swim Club um, to become Curl Burke. A name that uh, that that uh, a lot of people will recognize from swimming in the late '80s, uh, early '90s, and that's now morphed into Nation's Capital. Uh, then spent a couple of years um, down at Mission Bay, uh, moved up to Orlando, coached there at the Aquatic Center on International Drive for Team Orlando. Uh, unfortunately, that was a time that that facility was going through some financial issues and they ended up shutting us down. And I um, was able to, uh, to land a job coaching with Jack Nelson um, down at uh, Fort Lauderdale at the Hall of Fame Aquatic Center as his associate head coach. Um, and so real interesting uh, Part of my career has been the coaches that I've been able to, to coach under and coach with. And uh, Pete Morgan um, was the aquatics director at the uh, Burke Racket and Swim Club. Um, he's the, the head coach of, of NCAP right now, Hall of Famer, um, Olympian uh, Ed Moses. Um, it's his most famous uh, athlete. Um, so he was huge, huge uh, part of my formation as, as one of my mentors. And then Coach Schubert and, and Coach Roach at Mission Bay um, and Coach Nelson um, down at, at um, the Hall of Fame uh, with Fort Lauderdale swim team uh, certainly had a huge uh, part in forming uh, my ideas of, of what a team should look like and 
and really uh, a lot of what to do as a coach, but also uh, you learn along the way things that you don't want to do because uh, every coach has, has those things that they do well and maybe some things they don't do as well. Um, and then when I left Fort Lauderdale, I, I moved to Fort Worth, Texas and became the aquatics director for the school district there and the head coach of the Fort Worth Arlington swim team. Um, that move was um, because of moving up closer to uh, where my wife's family lived and uh, had a couple successful years there and then moved to Indiana uh, when my wife took the job as, uh, as executive director of USA Synchronized Swimming and, um, and coached a year with the Carmel Swim Club and then 11 years with Washington Township uh, Swim Club as the head coach at Washington Township. And uh, those are probably my um, real formative um, years as a head coach. Um, a great experience there with some great uh, swimmers, great families, great coaching staff, uh, and also coached high school there at North Central High School where we won a boys' state championship and had uh, six consecutive years of, of finishing second to Carmel Swim Club at the uh, Indiana Girls High School State Swim Meet. And then my uh, from there, um, moved to another club in Indiana called Sugar Creek Swim Club. Again, working as aquatics director for the, the aquatics facility there, beautiful uh, 50 meter pool out in the middle of the cornfields in West Central Indiana. And uh, I really enjoyed my, my uh, seven years there. Then ended up out here in Colorado and coached for a year. And then took a job with USA Swimming as uh, a sports performance consultant, which then morphed into a performance development manager position. And so I've spent the last eight years uh, as uh, a coach of coaches primarily, but also working in the space of athlete education, parent education, and, and athlete development. And then just recently, Left that job um, at the end of June. So right now, I guess I'm a free agent, uh, kind of looking for different uh, opportunities out there to continue along this path. So quite a bit of different coaching experiences. Um, what I would like to consider a hugely successful career and a lot of great relationships and fun uh, along the way. Yeah, there's uh, there's several things there that I want to kind of uh, pull, pull some threads. Uh, but yeah, sure. absolutely. Long story career and kind of almost going backwards. I think a lot of people, perhaps a lot of people listening to this, the name is going to come to the forefront. And actually something that some previous guests that I had already mentioned too, was the, the work you did in USA Swimming when this COVID crisis hit. And I believe uh, starting right in March. And so first of all, actually, uh, I was one of the coaches that you picked up the phone and called and make sure, make sure to talk to me and shared a number of resources, told me things that we could do as a team, how, how to continue being successful and continue serving our families and our swimmers at that time. And obviously, I wasn't the only one. 
I'd imagine you talk to. Do you have any idea how many coaches you talked to uh, during that time? <laughs> wow. Uh, in terms of phone calls, emails, uh, etc., uh, I'm sure it's in the in the the hundreds. Um, you know, one of our 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 big pivots uh, when the the pandemic first started in the beginning, you know, to impact sports in the beginning of March. Um, was to realize that, that our teams um, maybe and coaches were not super well equipped to coach when they didn't have access to water and didn't have face-to-face -face access with their athletes. And um, so it was important for us at USA Swimming to reach out and make those connections with the coaches. And um, fortunately, Uh, or unfortunately for me, I was uh, at that point kind of responsible for monitoring the, the swim coaches idea exchange on Facebook and, you know, posting USA Swimming resources and things like that. And, and that certainly, um, I think, gave me a little bit of a connection um, to coaches around the country. And people started reaching out to me and, and, and then, uh, you know, I would see a coach post a concern and, and rather than trying to, you know, deal with it through social media, um, it's always easier to pick up the phone and have a conversation, which was what led to, to our conversation and conversations with many coaches. And then, you know, we, we divided up the country into the four zones and then uh, two of us, I was paired with, with uh, Coach Randy Julian are, uh, with the central zone. And we just started to do regular um, Zoom meetings with, with coaches within um, the various LSCs um, and just continually being a resource, somebody to talk to, um, kind of a collector of best practices uh, really to, to pass on um, to coaches out there. Because while every situation is different, um, there are similarities to each and every situation out there. And, and I think that was, um, was definitely one of the, the toughest times, um, a very busy time. And although I think we, we've helped a lot, we can't solve every problem. And, um, and that's, that can be frustrating. Just like when you have an athlete who you know has done the work and they can't ever seem to put it together at a meet um, as we see teams just do all the right things and not be able to get access to water or or have some situation that's impeding their um, you know ability to navigate this whether it's financial whether it's it's facilities whether it's um, you know whatever it might be you know health situation um, It's, um, it's heartbreaking, really, to not be able to, to solve, solve every, every problem. Uh, and, I, and I know that coaches look to USA Swimming to provide that leadership and guidance. And, and I will tell you that, that everybody there is doing the best they can. Um, and, that, and that's what I felt like we're doing. And I feel like we, we were able to help a lot. Um, one of the things I cautioned the coaches early on was, was don't use up all your, 
good ideas and your content in the first three weeks because this is going to be a long-term thing. Uh, I didn't maybe recognize that it was going to be quite as long-term as it's turning out to be with, <laughs> with you know, the cancellation of, of some fall seasons already, you know, Arizona State redshirting their entire team, um, you know, high school associations pushing back start dates of meets. And, and obviously right now um, the priority still needs to be health and safety of our athletes and of our communities. Um, but I understand the, the desire to compete and the desire to get back to normal training. And it's, it's really about being patient and being creative and finding the best way to solve it. So that was the approach I took. Um, I've always looked at, at that position at USA Swimming uh, with the heart of a, a teacher and the heart of a, of, a, of a servant to our members, primarily to the coaches. And um, it was just, I guess it was a great opportunity um, to develop some better connections with coaches out there. And so I, I would encourage you all to continue to take advantage of the, of the people that are still in place at, at USA Swimming and Team Services because they, um, they really have that same heart and same mindset of, of helping coaches and helping teams navigate their way through this. Yeah. So in case I had not made this publicly, I guess, on my end, just, just thank you for that phone call, uh, which was, with me, it was exactly like that. I posted something on, uh, actually, if I remember correctly, it was some, one of your posts just saying, what can we do to help? And I posted a question and you reached back with, how can I get, how can we talk? And I thought it was going to be, a, all right, he's going to call me five minutes because he's probably got a lot of people. And I think we talked for like 45 minutes and you followed it up with some emails and some, some ideas. And I, I actually think I used all of them and also passed it on to our LSC. So uh, from my end, thank you for having done all that work. And well, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad it helped. And, and most of the, there were very few of the five minute phone calls. Most of them <laughs> were, were uh, 15 to 30 to 45 minutes or, or even longer, depending on the, on the situation. Uh, but I think that communication is so important. Um, you know, getting back to, to coaching, that communication is so important. In, in every level of what we do, whether it's the communication um, to USA Swimming, from USA Swimming, if, if it, is it the communication within a coaching staff, our communication to our, our parents, uh, communication with our athletes, and, and our collaboration and cooperation with our, um, I'll use the term rivals, but the other teams, uh, you know, in our LSC and around the country. Um, if one, if I've learned one thing from, um, you know, from the, um, from the time of, of COVID-19, it's that those LSCs and those um, parts of the country where the coaches are cooperating and talking with each other and sharing ideas and working together to solve problems, they're the ones that are going to be the most resilient and, and come out of the other end of this um, the best. Yeah, 100% agreed here. 
So I have a couple more questions with that, with regards to what your job was with USA Swimming before uh, all this. Uh, you mentioned you, you were, you started as a, uh, I guess, sports performance and then transitioned into a, a development uh, manager. Performance executive. development, yeah. Performance it was just development. A, a, Really didn't change the job, just changed the name of it. Okay. And I, I mean, during that time, I guess I did a, I did a zone select camp that, that you were at. And right. then I, I'm sure I saw you at a convention a couple of years. Uh, and, and, but I don't think we, you ever visited our club. But I, so I don't know how many club visits you were doing during that time. What was your interaction kind of with a more broad membership uh, at that time? Yeah, so... Um, so really the, the sport performance or performance development position was designed to provide educational services to coaches, athletes, and teams. And did that through a variety of methods. Um, our regional coaches clinics, which I believe this fall will be virtual, um, just like most everything else. Um, it'll be an interesting opportunity maybe to reach more coaches um, so eight of those a year, um, the zone select camps and the national select camp, um, where the interactions were both with athletes and coaches. And then, uh, obviously club visits. And I think in an average year, I was probably around 35 to 40 teams that I visited, um, and several others uh, in the office doing those positions. And, and those were, were um, you know, two to three day visits, depending on the size of the team. Sometimes they were even longer if it's a larger team, multiple, multiple sites kind of thing. And, and really the beauty of that program uh, of club visits was the coaches had a lot of input in designing uh, the information that was shared. And uh, it was really based on what that club's need was, uh, whether it was coach education, whether it was athlete education, whether it was, um, you know, uh, talking to parents about long-term athlete development and having perspective, um, whether it was running some, um, some actual practice sessions, um, in conjunction with the coaches going over different drills um, or providing um, analysis of, of kind of, of the way the coaching sessions um, that the coaches were leading were going uh, and maybe some suggestions for improving that. So every visit was a little different, um, which made it like a really cool job, right? Because it wasn't the same thing over and over again. And, um, and I really liked that, that part of it. And then the other big piece of, of our interaction with coaches and athletes were at um, the meets where we did video um, review, where uh, these were usually national level meets, junior national and above. Um, we did Y nationals, NCSAs uh, a few years. Um, where we would provide the recording of, of the races for the athletes and coaches to come back and, and watch post-race to do analysis and, and maybe plan for finals or figure out what went well, what, what could go better. Um, and so that was a great opportunity to, 
to coach both coaches and athletes um, kind of in that, in that, uh, in that space at a, at a championship meet. So um, those really are the, the, the four pillars, the clinics, our select camps, the club visits, and the video review um, were, were kind of the four pillars of, of the services we provided. And um, it's a very rewarding job. Good thing is, uh, especially with the parents, right, get to stir them, stir them up a little bit and then leave. So I didn't have to deal with the fallout <laughs> from it. Uh, just kidding. Um, uh, but, yeah, that's uh, – so that's really what that, that position is designed to do. Um, I think over the next year it will look a little different just because of restrictions on travel and, and people's time. A lot of the stuff will be done virtually, um, but we'll see how um, you know how, how USA Swimming decides to move move forward with that. So I'm actually, you know, one of the things um, since I, I mentioned I'm a free agent, one of the things I'm thinking about is is kind of doing this those type of club visits on my, you know, kind of on my own and and. Um, you know, creating a business model around that type of service of, of coach education and, and team evaluation uh, for, for teams out there. Um, so that, that's one possibility, uh, depending on whether I decide to get back on, onto, uh, onto the pool deck and, and get involved with, with coaching a specific team. The fun thing about that job with USA Swimming is just the overall impact. Um, you know, if, if you're coaching a team, you, you work with your group of athletes, maybe a broader group of athletes within the team. And this was the ability to impact multiple teams. And, and I enjoyed that challenge and that, that opportunity greatly. Yeah. I, I'm guessing you don't, you don't have that deeper relationship with that, with your, the athletes that you would be working with every year or every day. Uh, but you have that relationship with a number of athletes and a number of coaches, so the right. different, different one. But I can see how the the impact overall is very different right. when you're. Yeah, and and I agree. That was that was one of the you know I think one of the downsides of it was you don't build those necessarily those deeper relationships with as many athletes. But um, it was great to watch. You know, athletes that you visited, watch them kind of blossom into, uh, and coaches kind of blossom into coaches and athletes that made an impact on the national junior team and on the national team and at the Olympic Games, things like that. One of the early teams I visited was Lily King's team uh, in Evansville, Indiana, um, when was probably Lily was still a sophomore or junior. Uh, in high school and um, so we've got to to work with her and watch her career a little bit and then obviously as she's blossomed at at IU into a, a world champion Olympic gold medalist world record holder those are really neat moments to have played just a little part in that 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 were a lot of fun and countless number of athletes and coaches that um been able to to watch their their careers kind of take off so it's fun working with that that next generation of stars and I, I kind of 
I think of that as as you as you look at um, you know as as coaches look at their team, um, whether they're coaching eight and unders or you know or seventeen year olds. You know, what is the potential of this athlete? Where can they where can they go and how can we best impact them and provide them with the best foundation um, so they can reach their potential? So uh, among those teams that you visited, I guess two questions. You said 35 to 40 team visits a year, probably even if you repeated some, so hundreds of different teams probably that you visit over time. One is what would you say were some – commonalities among those successful clubs? Why, why do they have in common? And I guess the, the other one is, is the flip side. What were some of the things that you saw that you think maybe would be characterized by mistake or that people could be doing things different or maybe a little bit better? Yeah, so I think the um, to answer the first part, what, what do those successful teams have in common? And I think it's a, sh a shared vision amongst the coaching staff that is then communicated and lived on a daily basis to the athletes, with the athletes, with the families. Those teams that have a vision of, of, of who they are and, and where they're headed, um, a real direction, seem to be able to sustain their success and be able to um, – to have swimmers come through there that, that reach all levels of, of championship type success. And, and I think it starts with that, with that collective vision and agreement on, on what our program is all about. Uh, Simon Sinek has a great, uh, great book and great video about starting with why and understanding what the why is um, behind um, your program and why do you do the things that you do in the way that you do them. Uh, and understanding that and be able, being able to communicate that, I think, is the, the first step to, to building a, a great team culture. Um, and, and giving everyone a voice you know, especially on the coaching staff, all parts of the coaching staff having a voice and being it being a collective conversation about the overall, you know, picture of the program. What what does what does the six or seven or eight year old, you know, how do we treat them and and build the foundation that will lead to the um, you know, the senior level swimmer being able to, to continue on and swim in college and maybe reach those, those higher levels of the sport. Um, so I think that's, that's really, really important. I think um, a commitment to solid technical development is one of those foundations that, um, that, that we've, we've seen is vital to the success in our sport. We are a technique-based, you know, activity, and our success is based on how well we execute the various phases of the stroke and the various phases of a race. And we can't ignore that to just train our athletes. 
Um, so we have to have that commitment to technical, technical excellence at all levels. And then I think probably the final point is the willingness for coaches to hold athletes and hold themselves accountable um, to, to a standard uh, of performance, um, a standard of execution in a set. doesn't matter how great a set that I write if I'm not actually holding the kids accountable for performing that set. Uh, as a coach, our, our control over our athletes really ends as soon as their feet leave the wall, right? Unless we are constantly um, communicating to them, whether it's through hand signals, whether it's through the brief snippets when they're on the wall, or, you know, a lot of teams have started to use those, uh, the headsets, the swim communicators, which I think are a great tool. Um, but we've got to find a way to make sure that, that our athletes have a purpose and they're not just shutting off their brains um, when they're swimming. And so coaching, coaching is, needs to be active. It can't be passive. It's not just right to set and then watch what's going on. You've got to see and, and be able to interact with the athletes during that, um, during that set as well. Uh, as far as, and I think that's probably the biggest place that I see teams that aren't successful and, and that I see coaches fall down is in their unwillingness to do that, um, that mundane kind of task of holding people accountable. Um, whether it's coaches on their staff, whether it's the athletes during a set, um, or whether it's the, the parents that, that might step out of line and, and act counter to the team's value. We've got to be willing to, uh, to have those non-negotiables that, um, that we believe in and that, that are the foundation of what we're doing. The interval, you know, in a set doesn't matter as much as the quality of the movement that the athlete is, is doing in order to achieve that, that performance on that rep. You know, if, if it needs to be five seconds slower so they can execute it at a higher level, it's probably worth those five seconds. It's not going to change the physiology of it. And it, if the quality of movement is better, that's the quality of movement the athlete's going to take to the race. Yeah, that's some, some very good stuff there. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. My, my limited experience, but if, if it's coming from you, it carries more value. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, is so much more. Uh, so the, I guess the next question I would have is what, and you probably would have a, a ton here, so you don't have to share all the resources you have, but what kind of resources do you have to, for, for learning and for helping other people learn? So I guess short of people right now contacting uh, HESI Sports uh, Performance or Sports <laughs> Consulting, uh, where would you direct people to learn more about either the sport or coaching or things like that? There's so much information out there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my kind of my top, top resources. For, 
for the technical side of things, I think uh, the place I, I look to is, uh, is obviously um, some of the resources from USA Swimming. Uh, the work that, that Russell Mark has, has done um, and really the, the um, uh, I'm, so, I'm so proud for him in the growth that I've seen in him uh, in terms of how he analyzes strokes and how he looks at things. And I think what we're getting now um, from USA Swimming in terms of, of analysis of what the, the best athletes are doing is at a much um, higher and valuable level than, it, than it's ever been. So that's one place. And then to me, if you're looking for video or ideas on drills, that type of thing, go swim. Uh, TV um, is the place to go. And Glenn Mills has done a great job of, of um, providing um, just high quality video of great athletes um, and really breaking down all the different components of the stroke so that you can really get a, a 30 second to one minute video of really any component um, of the stroke that you want to share with your athletes. Um, so from the technical standpoint, that's where I would go. Um, from, the, from the overall program development side, um, I think I really like Michael Brooks's book, Developing uh, Swimmers, Developing the, Developing the Young Swimmer. I can't remember the title, the title of it. I think, think I think it's just developing swimmers. Yeah. Um, and I know Michael's been working on a, a, a second edition of that. Um, but I think he, he really looks at that, that key age range of, of eight to 14 and, and probably has a better understanding of it as, than any, anybody um, that I've come across. Um, as far as the relationship side of coaching and, and the kind of how to coach, um, there's a book by Daniel Coyle called The Little Book of Talent. Um, and it's a synopsis of the uh, 52 lessons he learned in writing the book, The Talent Code. The Talent Code is great. His second major book, The Culture Code, is also wonderful in terms of team building. But to me, the Little Book of Talent, it's a great short read with a lot of, of really great ideas in it that you can use and communicate well to your young athletes. I know Guy Edson, former technical director for ASCA, he would, um, he would give the book out to his athletes and uh, assign one of them a chapter to read, uh, give them a few days to read it and and kind of understand it. And then they would come back and present to the team what this meant to them and, and how they would apply it to swimming. So there's a lot of different uses for that book. Um, anything about Coach Wooden? Um, you can see, Lucas can see on, on my back wall here, the Pyramid of Success. Um, uh, anything you can read about Coach Wooden and his philosophy, I think, um, there's no one better at the relationship game of coaching than Coach Coach Wooden was. So I I, I love his stuff. Um, if you're looking for for podcasts, there's there's really three that um, 
and and not to please listen to Lucas's podcast, obviously, <laughs> but other podcasts. Um, the Learner Lab, Trevor Reagan uh, and his buddy. I don't I don't know if you've come across that, Lucas, but uh, Trevor Reagan of of um, practicing ugly or yeah, train, train ugly was it train, train ugly, ugly yeah. um, but I, they they've started one called the learner lab and the the great thing about their um, their podcast is less than half an hour and really focused on how to be better learners so for coaches it's great and I think you can actually send it to your athletes definitely 13 and over athletes would be able to understand the concepts in there and maybe even some of the younger ones. Um, but certainly there's stuff you can pull out and use with all different ages. That's great. Um, the way of champions pro, uh, podcast with John O'Sullivan and, um, uh, shoot, Dr. Jerry Lynch, um, great guests uh, on developing culture, coaching the right way, communicating with parents, and then Finding Mastery by Michael Gervais. It's a little out of the coaching realm, but he always has great interviews uh, with people. And there's a ton of stuff out there. Those are kind of my three um, go-tos right now in terms of podcasts. I think you can't you can't do enough to learn as a coach. I think you've always got to be looking for ways to get better. Um, I know I continually am always seeking out more information, better way to, to simplify the messages that I'm, I'm trying to communicate, whether it's to coaches, to athletes, heck to my own, my own two daughters uh, as well. <laughs> A lot of, lot of helpful information there for that, uh, too. Yeah, those are, uh, just to expand a little bit, but yeah, all, all of those you, you mentioned are, are fantastic resources. Uh, you mentioned Rush, Russell Mark on the USA Swimming Resources. He just mm -hmm. actually did a series for presentations of each stroke, and I guess you were still with USA Swimming and answering questions on those. Yes. And, and, and those, those are all great. The, yeah, the, I mean, the great thing from... Uh, from USA Swimming is there are, I think there's 10 or 12 years of webinars um, that have been recorded on all kinds of different subjects. And while some of the material may be dated if it's from 12 years ago, you know, a lot has changed since 2008, there's still valid information on, on all of those um, those webinars and they just continue to add to it, you know, um, just like every other organization during this pandemic time, um, they've been expanding the areas that they're, we've been doing webinars on. So, um, and those are all recorded. You know, you can watch the, the podcast. Um, you can download the, the PDFs of the, of the slides if they have those. And again, it's almost any topic. There's a lot of stuff from, from great uh, age group coaches on, on drills on there. Um, just every, really any and every area. Um, Russell, uh, after Russell did his, his Technique Tuesdays, um, Keenan Robinson in June did a, a series where, uh, of 
both age group and senior dry land webinars. Uh, those are all available up there. So right. yeah, great resources. Yeah, and for for people listening, I will. I always have the show notes, and I'll post links to all that. So uh, make sure to check those out because those are all uh, all very good. And uh, same for those podcasts. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're listening to this already. But those those <laughs> other three are are definitely ones that I recommend as well. And I actually, I'm not sure if they train they changed the website for train uglier. That's the same website. Uh, but but yeah, Trevor had a great website when it started. I would caught it early on that that train ugly website which was ideas from the talent code and mindset kind of trying to merge them together and, and there's right. a lot of good stuff there too yeah and i think if you uh if you just google search trevor reagan whatever whatever his new site is will will pop up yeah. it may be called learner lab i don't know i know that's the name of the podcast yeah and they have they also have short videos that I, that I think are also very good to share with the with the kids too. Yep. So I'm curious now, do you have any um favorite or quote unquote favorite failure stories along your path? And and what I mean by that question are I mean two things. I guess one is when we're talking about talking to people about the highlight reel of their career. For anybody listening, it's easy to think that everybody hits wrong home runs every time they're at bat, and I, and we know that that's not the case. So first, share some stories that yeah you had things that didn't go according to plan as well, and also what were the lessons learned and how that helped future successes. Man, we always we always think about um, you know the places that we've we failed. Um, at least I do. Uh, and I often wish I could do a reboot and go back, um, go back about 20 years. Uh, and I had a special group of athletes at Washington Township. And I think it, if I had the knowledge I had now and could coach them with that knowledge, how much better, uh, and we were really good, but how much better um, we could have been. I think, um, Probably the biggest failure story that, that keeps with me uh, and that I, I, uh, that, that I learned lessons from, and I, I probably still haven't completely learned the lessons because um, I still think about the failure too more. Um, so I think there's other lessons to learn was, was back, um, and gosh, I don't even know what year it was, 2002, 2003. Um, uh, Indiana girls state high school championship and uh, we lost to Carmel by 17 points and that was the closest anyone had been uh, since the early 90s uh, when it, the meet was a was in a six lane pool or they were only swimming maybe it was still at the nap but they were only swimming six in in each of the heats and I think the moment was was too big for me as a coach um the opportunity to break a 22 year kind of winning streak i think that that's maybe it wasn't that much then it was probably 17 it's now up to 30 something um and i think my my nerves and my anxiety over the meet uh, spilled over to the kids. And I think that's something as coaches we need to, to understand is that our emotions and 
not to get too too wishy-washy, but the vibes we're sending off to the to the kids, they they sense those and they see those. And I think um, I think one of the things that, that I've learned the most is that at any meet, you're gonna have ups and downs. And being able to stay as a coach to stay as level emotionally as you can is a huge benefit to your athletes. Um, so modeling that, that calmness, it's not that you can't be nervous, but use that nervousness in a, in a positive way, right? Everybody gets nervous at a meet, whether a big meet, whether it's a coach or an athlete. And it's not that we don't want to be nervous, we want to make sure we're channeling those nerves in the right way, right? Are we nervous excited or are we nervous scared? And I think that was something where we, we had every right to be confident and we were, but we didn't really see the, the end result. And I don't think we ever, I ever gave a, got a clear picture of that myself and I talked about how vision is so important and 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 that's vision not only long term but vision day to day is so is so important uh, and I don't think I had a clear picture of that myself and was able to communicate it in a way that allowed our athletes to to really shine in the way they could have um, we were great but we weren't great enough in a couple of key spots. And, and I think that's one where, where again, if you um, kind of compromise your, your values or compromise what, what you think is important, um, you'll learn that lesson to, uh, to not do that again. And so I think holding fast to, to your ideas of, of what's right um, are so so very important in that. But I think, you know, there's so many places along the way where you look back and you have to, you, you have to take that information of a, of a failure or a disappointing experience and use that to build for the future. And I, and I think that's something that uh, I've been able to do in the last 10 years way better than I did in the first 25 years of my coaching career. Understanding the benefit of, of those failures or of those, understanding the lessons of those experiences. I don't even, I don't even really look at them as failures anymore. It's more as experiences, but we've got to learn the lessons, right? The lesson, the positive the lessons from a positive experience as well as the lessons from a negative experience, because uh, if we don't learn those, those lessons, they're going to, they're going to come back again. Right. Uh, right. Until we learn it. And I, and so I think that's just important in, in every experience to look for the learning in that experience. I don't know if that's specific enough in terms of, uh, well, it has, yeah, it has both. And I think you, uh, I guess, first of all, the, my, my personal experience, the, the being at a meet and, and thinking, letting my, my emotions kind of negatively impact the kids that I'm coaching. I'm definitely 
I have been guilty of that. And one thing that kind of the trick that I learned is that once I go to a meet, the number one thing that I got to remember is smile because it does change your, your mentality a little bit. And whether things are going good or bad, I just remember to smile a little bit. And that gives a little bit of confidence, I think, to myself and to the kids. So that, that was kind of, that's the trick that I kind of learned that helped me at least a little bit with that, those uh, nervous moments that happen, especially at championship meets. I also think you kind of already answered one of what would be my follow-up questions, which is if you go, could go back in time and give yourself an advice as a, as a younger coach, uh, what, what would that be? I'm not sure if you want to expand on that, or if that's pretty much what you said, just remember your, your values first. I think remember your values first. And I think the other thing that I've learned is you need to listen to your athletes. And I was terrible at that early on. I was one of those, you know, it's my way. I'm the coach. We need to do it this way. And I think it's only in, in retrospect that I've looked back on, on some situations and said, if only I had, had listened to what the athlete was saying, I, would, be, I would, would have been a better coach, not only for that specific athlete, but for the other athletes. And, you know, you're going to take the information that you get when, from your athletes uh, with a different level of importance kind of based on their age and experience. But um, I think I turned way too many uh, disagreements into battles rather than discussions and and that's an, an ego thing and I think as coaches um, it's easy for us to get caught up in the ego game of importance but my biggest I guess regret is that I did that too much and didn't spend enough time listening listening to my athletes especially my better athletes um, I'll just give you one example. You know, I, I had a plan for a re recovery day, right, in practice with my, with my senior group. And, um, and we're doing this recovery day practice, and it was one of the worst practices I've ever watched in my life. And, I mean, they couldn't do anything. And I, I was getting super frustrated. And finally, I said to the best guy on the team, I go, you know, I don't understand why you all are, are struggling with this today. It's, this is a recovery day. And he looked up at me and he goes, dude, just because you call it recovery doesn't make it recovery. And, <laughs> and, and I kind of was like, well, show, you know, shut up and swim, right? But I think that was um, – that was an opportunity for me to learn. And it, I don't think I learned that lesson for another three years um, just in thinking back on that incident. And it's, and it's fascinating that that has that stuck with me. And I think I had countless uh, situations where, um, where there, those lessons could have been learned earlier um, if I had been a better listener. So, yeah, uh, yeah, always hard. And again, just sharing the kind of trick that I have, and that, not that it always works, but uh, one 
one sentence I learned that I try to repeat to myself is, uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And I think especially on those ego battles, it's always, those two are not the same thing. And, you, and sometimes we think that because we're the coach and we obviously think we're right, it doesn't mean that it's going to be effective. And, and I think um, being effective is going to be more important than just being right oftentimes. Yeah, and I think that, that that coach's ego, right, at the end of the day, you're still going to be the coach, right? But but you're not going to be, as you pointed out, I love that, or you want to be right or you want to be effective. You're probably not going to be as an effective a coach because of your wanting to be right all the time. Um, and, I, and I think you – because people tune that out, right? Right. Uh, yeah. As soon as it becomes an ego battle, they tune it out. Whether it's whether it's uh, you know whether it's an assistant coach, whether it's an athlete, whether it's a coach from another team. Um, as soon as the ego gets involved, um, you've lost the opportunity for collaboration and cooperation. Absolutely. So, kind of. Uh... Moving on, the, you had many, many moves in your career, as you already discussed. What would you say was kind of like the, the best career decision you made? I think, I think, you know, the best career decision I made was taking this, the, the job, that my last job with, with USA Swimming. Um, I feel like uh, it's enabled me to grow as a person. Um, a lot more. Um, it's enabled me to have some some really cool experiences. Um, meeting different coaches and and start and learning to understand different different philosophies of coaching. Um, and I think also being able to impact a lot more people i think um we all you know we all want to have a purpose we all want to have meaning uh in what we're doing and and for me um that opportunity to have a little broader impact was was something that was super important um and so i think that's probably my best career decision in terms of of taking a job i think um if I was to look at any other choice, the, the, the choice to leave the D.C. area and move to Florida to coach at Mission Bay um, obviously opened um, so many different avenues for me um, professionally uh, in terms of, of understanding how a big program operated uh, how Olympians needed to be coached, how, how a staff can work together, how budgets are done, how meets are run, all kinds of different things that I don't know that I would have experienced if I'd stayed um, or, or experienced as quickly as if I had stayed at, at Burke. So I think I think looking for, for that type of challenge was really cool. You know, some of the other 
moves were out of kind of necessity at the time. And, and I think uh, I, I wouldn't trade any of the experiences I've had for anything, but I think um, I don't think as coaches, we always need to be looking for the next thing. There's value to building where you are. Um, but sometimes life throws you those curveballs. So embracing those new experiences is important too. Right. So changing gears just a little bit, but uh, this is something that you, you probably haven't had to do in a while. But one of the things that I've talked to people is about hiring and, and training um, assistant coaches. And so let's say you mentioned you, you kind of are a free agent now. You, you may or may not go back into running your own club. Uh, let's say you were back into a, into a head coaching position. What would be kind of your strategy to, to recruit staff for your club? Great question. Um, Obviously, I think you need to look for good people first. And I mentioned the, the culture, the vision. Um, you want, you've got to have people that are going to buy into what, what the vision of the program is. If you're a head coach, what your vision is. Hopefully, your vision is aligned with <coughs> the overall program vision. But I think um, places that I've made mistakes – in hiring um, would be in hiring in places I've seen teams make mistakes is hiring because of a resume or who a coach has coached um, and the previous success that they've, they've had and assuming that that will automatically fit into, um, into what you're trying to do. Um, I had the great fortune when I coached at Washington Township. At one point, we had a staff of uh, three, I think there were six or seven of us on staff, and every single other coach on the staff had been a head coach previously, whether it was a head high school coach or a head coach of a smaller program. and that was a huge part in our success because nobody was shy about voicing their opinion, but they all believed in what our vision of the program was. And um, they were there for a reason. They had come to the team for a reason. They, they had kind of sought us out as much as we had sought them out. Um, and I think it, it gave us, me, so much flexibility and so much comfort as a coach to know that, that I, could, I could leave anyone in charge of any group and those athletes would be taken care of. Now, I don't, I don't imagine that every team will have the luxury for that, but I think don't discount um, hiring people that, that have – leadership experience and but certainly you want good people i think i think i would recruit a good person before i recruit a good uh, a swimming expert um they can people can learn the swimming part 
Um, you can't learn the, the values and the good people part. And if they don't have that, uh, if they're not a good fit with the rest of the staff, I think that's, that's a mistake. So, so certainly having the current staff, um, especially the, the key staff people, be part of the interview process with the prospective coaches. Um, I think the fish out of, uh, out of the Washington, D.C. area, Ray Benecki and, and um, gosh, Monica Paris, uh, who's, who's their uh, kind of their business manager for the team. They have the, uh, an awesome coach development system in place. And it starts with the hiring process of doing, first of all, they were doing virtual interviews before anybody knew that I think that you could do virtual, you know, interviews. And they were having, uh, you know, they would have the, the whole staff sit in on the initial virtual interview. And then they would make sure that, um, you know, during uh, prospective coaches visit that he had time, uh, he or she had time on deck with all the different key coaches. Um, and then Monica and Ray respected the input of the rest of the staff as to whether that person would be a good fit. Um, I was always super impressed with, with what they've done and, and they've really produced some, some great coaches out of there. I'm sure other teams have great processes they go through, but that to me, they stand out as, uh, as a, a great place for a young coach to develop. So I think, you know, being super thorough, you can't be too thorough in this day and age, um, you know, in terms of background checking, checking references, that type of thing. But really getting to know the person, especially if, if you're hiring them on as a full-time part of your staff, because you want to get that right, right? Um, yeah. Somebody, and I can't – I wish I could credit which coach um, – said this to me but it was it was probably four or five years ago it's like what do you think the effect of one day of bad coaching has on your program like you know if you allow poor coaching to go on because you're not doing staff development or you have the wrong person with a group you know what is that impact of just one day going to have on the overall future of your program, never mind a week, a month, you know, if you're keeping somebody on and you're thinking they're going to change or you can't because you can't find anybody else, is, is it really worth it in terms of the long-term detriment, you know, to the team? I always thought that was a wise statement and I wish I could remember who, who said that, but maybe they'll listen to this and they'll, <laughs> they'll claim it. Don't claim uh, it, yeah. Yeah, so let's say, let's say you have a, a staff in place and you have unlimited money to spend on that staff development. Unlimited. So you, unlimited money, so sky is the limit. Uh, besides all the resources we obviously talked about, which are actually fairly cheap, how would you spend, how would you invest that money for staff development? Probably, I think, in an ideal world, I'd, I'd hire somebody like me 
<laughs> to come in and coach the coaches on a daily basis. Now, whether I would, if I was a head coach, uh, and maybe at this point in my career, I don't need the ego boost of coaching the top group, and I hire a coach to coach that top group, and I invest my time and my effort of being on deck with those coaches um, on a regular on a regular basis um, to guide them through it. And then I think bringing in those type of experts, whether it's a Trevor Reagan, Trevor's a young guy, but, but he spent so much time in this space of understanding how people learn and understanding that growth mind state. Um, there's another guy that's one of his mentors, John Kessel, who just left USA Volleyball as their director I think he was their director of coach development. Um, brilliant mind, bringing in people like that to talk to the coaches, not about stroke technique, not about training um, specifically, but about how people learn and how to coach the most effectively. And then um, – I bring in Dr. Jerry Lynch um, from, from Way of Champions and um, to talk about the relationship side of things. He's the most brilliant uh, mind that I know out there on team building, team culture building. Um, he's got a great book called Win the Day. Um, I encourage uh, everybody to read that. Uh, read that book. It's a pretty simple system, but it's it's really all about connection before anything else. Um, and I think that's um, that would be so important to me. Um, I think that's where I would put my my efforts in terms of coach development is is in those areas of of understanding the coaching and learning process and then how to win uh, I guess win at the relationship game yeah it's pretty interesting to me having this conversations how often uh, and, and I'm in full agreement and it kind of you mentioned as well when you were talking about hiring how often it is that the the swimming aspect it's kind of the easy part the relationship, the communication, that's where the real challenge and where the real work is. So, yeah, bringing those people to, to work on, on those areas. Yeah, and can I just expand on that real quick? I, sure. I know when we do our regional coaches clinics and we, we have uh, – we, we, when I used to be at USA Swimming and we would do our regional coaches clinic, you know – we'd have sessions on the relationships. We'd have sessions on, on how to manage parents effectively. You know, we'd have a session on how to coach effectively, right? And then uh, and, and people would kind of, they'd be engaged sort of, but they'd kind of check out a little bit. And then it would come to, oh, season planning or would come to breaststroke and they're just writing furiously copying down everything right 
and they miss the important part. Um, when you look at, at um, when you go to clinics, right, look beyond what the clinician or speaker is talking about um, strokes or training and look at the relationship piece and the connection piece, right? Eddie Reese has been successful for, for 40 years at the University of Texas, not because of the training sets he gives out, but because, as, as Eddie said, you have to put people first. If you take care of yourself and you take care of other people, everything else flows from that. And, you know, a few years ago, he had six of the eight, you know, top eight at NCAAs in the 100 fly. And everybody wants to know, well, what are they doing for fly training, you know, at Texas? And that's not the magic. You don't, you don't win all the national championships he's had spread out over that many years simply because of training. Dave Salo says the same thing when people come and watch – his practices, right? They're writing down everything that's on the whiteboard, you know, and he says, he always says, I let them do that for the first day. He goes, <laughs> and then the second day I turn to them and I say, you guys are missing the whole thing because it's not what's on the whiteboard that matters. It's what, it's what's happening between me and the athletes. It's what's happening in the water right that that is the important part and um and i just think that uh that we all want to know what michael phelps did when he was 13 because we figure if we give it to our 13 year olds they're going to be successful and that that's not how the game works right right because you're not coaching michael phelps yeah absolutely that's a yeah very good point i uh in the in the fall of this year, I, I had a sabbatical and I visited some clubs, and um, pretty much everywhere I went, what I was interested in seeing and what what was impressive to me on the successful clubs that I visited was actually was that relationship side uh, between the coach and the athletes and how the communication was happening and how the athletes were buying into what was being done and obviously and I've been to I think. 10, 12 different programs, they were all do, doing different things and being successful to a degree or, or another. And it was not because of the sets that were being done. It was just like you were saying, it was because there was an understanding between the coaches and the athletes and, and they were striving together for that, for that improvement. Definitely. Uh, all right. So uh, kind of switching gears just a little bit. If you... If you had to give a presentation or, or say teach a college class on a topic other than swimming, so let's leave swimming for the side for a little bit, uh, what would that be? <laughs> Man, like right now, or I could like prepare for, for this? For... Uh, you, you could prepare, I guess, yeah. I don't know. I, outside of swimming, it'd probably be in history. That was my major in college, so. I love uh, kind of the revolutionary period of, of U.S. history. Um, 
I'll tell you one thing that when I was a kid that I really wanted to get into was archaeology, and I never pursued that. I would love to, to go back and take a class on archaeology, right, and go on a dig somewhere. I want to go I'll – I'll tell you my, my secret, uh, my secret uh, dream desire is to go spend a summer on Oak Island off of Nova Scotia and ser- help those guys search for the treasure up there. I don't, I don't know if there are other History Channel people on here, but the, the treasure of Oak Island, that's my, that's my, uh, that's my obsession. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any other hobbies besides history or is that kind of the... That's, that's really my, kind of my main hobby. Um, my wife has gotten me to take up uh, volleyball. So I've been playing volleyball for the last three years in a senior league here in, uh, in Colorado. And uh, it's been an interesting experience um, to, to kind of learn a a different sport and learn the nuances of that sport. And so that's been, that's kind of been a, a, a fun experience. So I guess that's, um, you know, that's my other hobby. And, and then beyond that, it's, it's learning, right? Uh, learning about learning for me, learning about learning, learning mm-hmm. about coaching, how to, how to be better at it. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like asking these questions and veering away from swimming a little bit just so that I think swimming and and when we're a swim coach, it's very easy that that takes up the vast majority of our time, if not the entirety of our time. And I think it's helpful to hear that, oh, no, people do have other interests here and there, and it doesn't really necessarily get in the way of their coaching, of their passion for the sport, because it's, it's easy once you're coaching and passionate to be, that's all, that's all you care about. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's almost important to have some other. Can be, that, yeah. It can be all consuming. And I think that's, that's another piece of advice I would give to coaches is have those, have those outlets for stress reduction and, and, and don't let swimming become all consuming to you. Make time to get away. And if you're a head coach, allow your assistants to have time away and you take time away um, because you're going to be better. We're all going to be better for it. You know, our, our effectiveness as coaches is due in large part to, to how rested we are, how, how healthy we are, how stable we are. Um, And I think when things get out of balance, that's when we run into, um, difficulties right and it's a that's a great segue to uh, one of the kind of the last larger topics that I I like discussing and I I call it kind of the the challenges of coaching as a profession and I guess in your position having having been visiting coaches I've been talking to a number of different coaches you probably have a, a really broad perspective over this and kind of like you mentioned it's easy to become all consumed about swimming and there is, there is a price that coaches pay for that in terms of uh, oftentimes uh, family life can suffer. Uh, obviously, the, the coaching profession in general, uh, which is it's something I would say is, it's a, is an issue that I'm not sure there is a, 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 an easy solution for, which is the, 
financial aspect of, of swim coaching, which obviously is not uh, great. Uh, so I don't know if you would like to kind of uh, expand or things that you've seen over time. And, and obviously the, the main thing is what can people do to mitigate some of those issues and, and to keep more, more coaches into, into the profession. Yeah. I, this is a tough one for me because I don't know how well I did it um, as, as a coach. Um, I think at times I, uh, oftentimes I, I let it become too big a focus. I think understanding that as a coach, um, even as a head coach, you're not the most important person in each swimmer's career, right? They're the most important person, right? And so you don't need to be thinking about them 24-7 because they're not thinking about you 24-7, right? And so finding that ability to, to unplug um, – it's, it's not the high stress situations I think that leads to coaches downfall. It's the, it's the cumulative low stress um, of, of thinking that things have to be perfect and, um, and the ability to let go. I'll, I'll tell you about three months after I started at USA swimming, I was sitting in my little cubicle at headquarters and, I think everybody, a lot of the people were gone at, at uh, convention and I didn't go to convention that year. And, and I was sitting there and, and MJ Truax was in the cube next to me. And I was like, I was just sitting there and I was thinking and, and all of a sudden I was like, holy crap. And she's like, what, what's going on? And I go, I just realized that I have like zero stress in my life. <laughs> Right. And it wasn't that I wasn't dedicated to my my job or, or wanting to be successful in my job, but I didn't have that um, that background stress of why was Johnny not at practice and why did Sally not make the interval? And OK, you know, what are we going to what do we need to do to get ready for the meet this weekend? Right. All, when I left the office at, at whatever time each day. I kind of left swimming behind and I'm not suggesting that, that coaches um, have to do that completely uh, all the time um, when they're not, you know, on the deck or, or in the office, but I think finding ways to recharge and, and finding ways to turn off your swimming brain and maybe com compartmentalize things um, I think is, is important. And I, I don't know if I have a better way to, to describe it, but, but certainly taking those, those short breaks, whether it's a three day weekend or um, a night off or a morning off, you know, every week or every couple weeks. So you have the ability to uh, coach Pete Morgan used to call it human time when in September he didn't have morning practices at the beginning of the season, right? They added, he added those in, I think in about three weeks in to the season and he called it 
it's time to be a human again, <laughs> right? And so I think those, those kind of things, we need to recognize them and we need to be proactive about them and not wait till it becomes a health issue or a marital issue or a substance abuse issue or, or something even, even worse than that. Um, so finding ways to unplug, let go, maybe a mindfulness practice, something like that, I think is so, so super important. And, and again, remembering if, if, the, if we want these kids to be in it for the long haul and we want to be in it for the long haul, we can't live and die on every single swim and every single practice. And I think I didn't do, I didn't do a very good job of that, especially early on in my career, right? Each swim was a reflection of, of how good a coach I was and how effective I was with that athlete. And you come to learn that, you know, you can have the athlete as well prepared as they want, right? And their girlfriend breaks up with them the night before and they, they're going to suck at the meet, right? Right. Um, you know, or they get sick or whatever it is. And, and so having that perspective and, and not having a fixed mindset on that. We, we preach to our athletes all the time, have a growth mindset, learn from everything. And, and I think a lot of times as coaches, we become obsessed with results and don't value the process enough. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's obviously not an easy act to balance because to a degree, the career kind of depends on, on the results. But at the same time, you can't live and die for every single One thing that I've been, uh, I guess I haven't talked to anybody about this on the podcast, but I've talked to some coaches is how interesting this season has been. So we were all out of, out of the water. And then when we came back, there was a number of limitations. And because of that, teams had to reduce the number of hours that they were practicing. And in the case of our team, we actually were able to host two small session meets. And I wouldn't say the kids swam great, but they swam well. They swam pretty well for, for uh, where we would not, nobody shaved, nobody like really put on a, a brand new suit. It wasn't a championship meet, but good percentage of best times. And I think uh, perhaps something to be learned there that with, with a little less work, but more focus and a little bit less stress, a lot of the kids actually thrived. And the coaches, uh, I think for us, it's been, it's been difficult because every day kind of presents a new situation in terms of we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. There's a lot of puzzles. But, but a lot less stress to a degree because well, we, there, there, there can't be any stress, right? We don't know what the season looks like. So we, we, we're not preparing for a championship meet. And then the, the end result... Again, it's not that far from what, what would be. I do, I'm not sure we could survive on lower volume and, and then so fewer hours of training long term. There's probably a residual effect from the training before. But in terms of learning that not every single day and not every single minute that we thought we needed to be doing things before were as important as, as we thought, Right. Yeah, I think, I think as coaches, um, we always think we've been taught to think that more is better for a, for a long time. And, 
only using volume or number of hours per week of training as a measure of what's best and what's most most effective. And I'm not sure those are the best tools. Um, I think this has shown us, I think if we had seen the, um, the time out of the pool even be a little bit less, maybe, maybe uh, eight weeks instead of 12, um, we would see even greater performances. Obviously, uh, it's been a change for a lot of, a lot of kids. Um, but that opportunity to rest, opportunity for the younger kids to grow, when they're under, um, I know people love the phrase work works, but work also uses up a hell of a lot of energy that those kids need for growth. And I remember, you know, I, I was a swimmer in the 70s and not, not so much in the in terms of the late 70s where it was super hot and early 80s where it was super high volume. Um, but we, we, we did work, but we also had multiple three-week breaks during the year. And teams don't do that anymore. And I think we can learn some lessons if, if we're willing to, to look at it and, and really analyze what's gone on. I think it was on one of Trevor's uh, podcasts, I heard that uh, physiologist talking about how you only need to really train at 20% of your max level to maintain fitness. So if you do nothing, yeah, you get detrained. But if you're training at 20 to 30%, you can maintain a pretty good fitness level for a while especially um, the better trained, you know, you were going into it. So for a lot of these kids, that dry land was enough to keep them, you know, physically fit, or maybe they were more active outside type of thing. So I think we need to start looking at how can we use our practice time effectively, especially when it is reduced. And then when we get back to a situation where maybe we have no limits on our our pool time or 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 no limits relative to what we had been doing do we need to go back to that amount you know what is the optimum to me i've always been searching it's a conversation michael brooks and i've had several times you know what's the optimum training load for the eight-year-old the nine-year-old the 10-year-old the 12-year-old that gives them the opportunity or the preparation to reach their potential as a senior athlete, right? But doesn't wear them down enough that they want to leave the sport at age 13, which is when we have our biggest drop-off in participation, right? So right. figure out not what the minimum is, but what's the best. Right? We don't need to go max, we, but we, and we certainly don't need to go minimum necessarily, but what's the, what's the right, you know, and I wanted to talk about the word balance. What's the right harmony to me? Because it's not, balance is, every, when they hear balance, they think it's 50-50, right? Or it's either or, right? To me, 
like life balance for a coach is making sure you have the proper emphasis on each facet of your life when that's appropriate. So when you're at swim practice, be at swim practice. Don't be worrying about, you know, car repair or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and when you're with your significant other, be with your significant other. Don't be planning tomorrow's set, right? Or figuring out how you're going to respond to X parent who, who sent you a nasty email. And it's, I think it's the same thing with our swimmers. When they're at swim practice, let's be at swim practice. Let's give it 100%. And maybe if we give it 100% for um, somebody, I think, wrote on, on, on the coaches exchange, um, you know, 100% for 90 minutes is a lot better than, than 60% for two hours. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so how can we engage those athletes and be most effective in our use of practice? And then our, our use of all the other tools that we have available now, whether it's, you know, a zoom meeting or virtual, you know, dry land on their own, um, whatever it is, that's going to be appropriate for those kids. But not getting stuck in thinking things need to be the same way they were before. Not everything needs to change, but some things probably could use changing. Right. Yeah. I really like that idea. Once the restrictions are, are lifted, we don't have to go back to exactly the way it was. It can be better. And I really like the, I never heard this one before, but using harmony instead of balance. I, I really like the concept. Thanks, Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks. And, I, and uh, I think, I think, you know, maybe we, if, if we had, kids come in three times a week instead of six, if that's what we settle on, can we get twice as many kids coming three times a week? Right. And now we've grown the sport, right. right. And, and our potential is going to be maybe greater down, down the road. Uh, you know, I don't yeah. know. Or even if we got 50, per, you know, we didn't get twice as many, right. We got 50% more kids there three times a week. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And especially, especially when you're talking about the, the younger ages. Younger kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, almost wrapping up here, there's a couple more questions that I really like asking everybody. First one here being, let's say again, you were, you were back into full-time coaching and you had a team, either high school or college you can pick. And if you had, if you could pick up to, three skills or qualities that you would have everybody that goes through your program to have, and this could be swimming related or not, uh, what would you think those would be? Um, enthusiasm, willingness to work hard, and I think selflessness like a willingness to be a part of uh of the team and not the need to be the the star okay that'll look pretty good and so then effectively the the last real question that i ask is in your case 
I think a lot of people listening to this actually know you or have, have interacted with you on that exchange group, which you've done a great job. Uh, even after you, you've uh, left USA Swimming, I think you're still sharing resources out there. But what would you say would be kind of the, the most important thing people should know about you? Wow. They should know about me? Um, man, that's a tough question. I believe in belief. How's that? Do you want to expand in that, on that a, li a little bit? Or? I think it's, you know, um, it goes back to what, what you said about buy-in of the athletes, right? If we believe we can or we believe we, we can't, we're right either way. So I think having that um, kind of that positive mindset that anything's possible, um, as long as we believe in it, uh, and that's why I picked enthusiasm and, and a willingness to work, right? If we believe in something strong enough and we work towards it enthusiastically, um, I think that, um, you know, nothing can stop us. Thoreau said something about, you know, something about the man who advances confidently in the direction of his dreams. You know, to me, that's what it's all about. And, and I think trying to see that in, in every person you encounter um, is a great way to approach things, right? Not, not letting, not setting limitations on anyone and not letting anyone set limitations on you. All right. So I guess once again, I'd like to uh, thank you for your time before this, uh, with this, with this interview here. Thank you for your time that you put out, uh, kind of, like I said, sharing resources with that group that sometimes can be pretty uh, polarizing, <laughs> but you, you always are, regardless, they're still there sharing resources, trying to educate people. And, and so thank you. Thank you so much for all the work you've done already. I don't know. And like I said, a free agent right now, don't really know what the next step is. I'm sure that whatever you decide to do. It, it, whatever it is, it won't be a secret to the swimming world. I think. <laughs> yeah, whatever, I whatever I end up doing, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm planning on staying involved in swimming or, or at least in youth sports, um, which would include swimming. So um, not sure what that's going to look like. Um, but if anybody has any ideas or is interested in, in having me come in in the meantime before I, I land a permanent gig to, to work with their team, either virtually or in person, let me know. What would be the best way for people to reach out to you? Probably the, the best way is just um, by email. It's uh, mhesse61 at gmail.com. Um, that's the the easiest way I'm on Facebook, just Mark Hesse, Colorado Springs. I don't, I don't know if there's any other identifiers there. Um, I do Twitter, uh, at coach Hesse. I think I'm on Instagram too, but as my daughter says, I never post anything. I just like 
everything that she posts. I'm, I'm learning how to be a little better at the social media thing. And I, I've started to dabble on LinkedIn, but I don't, I don't quite get that yet, but you can find me on any of those places. Um, and uh, if you reach out, I'll, I'll get back to you. And I'll, I'll make sure I share those two on that, on those show notes, uh, the, at least the, the Twitter handle, the email, and uh, yeah, I guess, and I guess I, there's a link. I, and if I decide to stay kind of freelance, I'll, I'll, I'll build that website for you so you can find my bio. That's right. That, that's right. Yeah. If, well, if that if that goes up, just let me know, and I'll make sure that that I. All right. <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, thank you so much for all the work you've done already for uh, expanding on that even more right now with uh, with with your time, and I I really appreciate. It. I'm sure that I took uh, well over a page of notes here just during this <laughs> conversation. So uh, yeah, if people are listening and taking notes too. Uh, there, there was a lot here. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much for, for all the help. Thanks, Lucas. This was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. And that was it for another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit podcast. As always, thanks for listening. And if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy this, Please take a few seconds to give this podcast five stars or a positive review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, go ahead and subscribe. Once again, I'd like to thank Mark for taking the time for this interview and especially for his big push to help as many coaches as he could during the last few months. And I've heard from many coaches how important that was. Remember to check out the show notes on my blog, swimcoachintransit.com that's swimcoachintransit all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes or special characters there you can always find links to books websites and all other resources we talked about and once again there were a ton of those in this episode so head over there to check those out and thanks as always to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast you can also find his Instagram info in the show notes. And also thanks to Zapslat for the sound effects. And that's it. Thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one.